Welcome, and thank you for downloading Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Here at Movement, we are passionate about God's Word and helping each other move closer to God. Thank you for choosing to grow with us today. And now, here's our lead minister, Bobby Wallace. All right. Give Casey a hand. Slide this over a little bit. So um, we as human beings, we will revert to the easiest thing possible, won't we? Like, I mean, whatever is easiest we like. We are all about life being simple. We're all about life being just, I mean, a life of ease. If we could make everything completely easy, I mean, we would just be happy as we could be, right? You might remember the movie, uh, you ever seen the movie Wally? Yeah, well, like where everybody has to leave Earth because everything, it's an it's a animated cartoon, whatever. Everybody has to leave Earth, and they all go up in this big spaceship, and pretty soon they just stop walking. And so they're on these like floating, like lazy boy recliners. They have screens in front of their faces, and literally they lose like all their muscle, and they're just, you know, just sitting there. If they fall off, they like, they roll around like a turtle on their back on their shell. And we, I mean, we could easily get into that kind of thing because we like for things to be easy. I mean, just for example, just to help you see what I'm talking about here, have you ever been somewhere like maybe on a in a, in a city that, or you're working or like a college campus, and there is uh, a sidewalk, and there's like a 90 degree like right turn, but it's like a little bit out of the way, and so people just start making their own little pathway, right? And so all the grass gets killed right there. Instead of taking just a few extra steps, what will we do? We take the shortest route possible. It's just sort of human nature. We, we like to do that kind of thing. I mean, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm getting up there. I know to, compared to some of you, you're very much more mature than me, and I'll use that word mature. One of my, uh, my 13-year-old, is he in here? I don't know where he's at. He might be in back with the kids. He had the audacity to call me and his mom old several times last night. I'm like, you better pray to Jesus you get to be old one day. That's, because you don't talk that beetle job to me. But I, you know, I don't remember a time really truly without cruise control. But you think about what cruise control is, right? It gives us the power to not do this, but to do this. Woo! That's tough, right? This to this. And it just, it changes our life, right? And then I am, believe it or not, I am old enough slash probably country enough to remember a time when there were no, or not everybody had a remote control on their television. Believe it or not, it's a real thing. It was in this, since Jesus has been alive. We did not always have remote controls. When I was a kid, I was a remote control. You know, mom and dad said, get up and turn the channel. And it was literally like, I, for a while when I was a kid, it's like, doo, 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 doo. like turning the knob, not even push button, right? Then I remember the push button. And then we got a remote and I was like, whoo, thank you, Jesus, you know, because it saved us a few steps. You know, I, I had a, we were in a small little house and it wasn't that big of a thing, but man, you just feel like life gets easier. And here's another thing. And I don't know why, I mean, I know why, but so many stores have automatic doors, right? Ooh, this is hard. Yeah. I, I, you know, grocery store, I understand you're pushing a grocery cart. I guess that makes it nice. But I mean, we, doors just say, it's fun for playing Star Wars, right? The force. You know, move your hands, the doors open. But we like things to be really easy. And we'll revert to the easiest possible way to do something if we can. And the truth of the matter is, is that we can struggle with that same mindset of taking the easiest route possible, even in our faith. Am I right? We can struggle with it even in our own faith. We can want to do what's easy and hopefully get the greatest return possible. 
And the truth is, is that we can struggle with that mindset in our relationship with God, and we can believe that we're earning our way to God. And if we do that, if we, if we start to think that, that, you know, I've got to be a better person, but, so God will love me, then we'll quickly default to what is good enough. Am I right? Now, I don't know many of us, you know, if, if you've been to church a few times, probably even, you don't have to have been coming a long time, but I don't know many of us that would say, oh yeah, I believe I need to earn my salvation. But when we are left alone to our own devices and we get in the, the, the habit of life, we sort of tend to operate a little bit like what? We're earning God's love. You understand what I'm saying? Am I completely wrong on that? Nod your head like this if you agree. If you don't agree, turn, you know, nod your head like that pretty customary. All right. I think it's easy for us to do. It's where we're like, okay, I, I know Jesus died for me. We heard a great communion meditation talking about that. But I know Jesus died for me, but it's easy to get caught up in, but I've got to be good or he's going to boot me out the first chance he gets. You know, he's like, you know, the dad who's like, you better straighten up or I'm throwing you out of the house. You know, that's sort of the, the attitude that we can fall into in that mindset. So what do we do? Because here's something I want you to know. Works salvation is a deadly trap. And most of us, as I said, we could automatically, oh yeah, that's right, that's right. But how often do we fall into that trap? Because the problem is, is that when we first get caught up in the idea, I'm going to be good, I'm going to do better, and God's going to love me because of that. We start, we're all out, we're giving all the effort, man. We are really working hard. We do all the things that we think that makes God love us. You know, we stop our big sins for a minute, you know, and we're like, man, I'm going to stop that. And, and we stop it for a couple weeks, maybe, if you're really good, a couple months or six months or something like that. And then I'm going to start being nice. I'm not going to give somebody the one-handed salute when they've cut me off in traffic. You know, I'll be like, after you, you know, that type of thing. Don't act like y'all hadn't seen people do that or even done it. Don't, don't be all judgy, okay? But I'm going to be nice, and I'm going to go to church. I'm, I'm going to be there. Uh, I might throw a few bucks in the offering plate. And if we're really, I mean, really trying to cover up some big messes in our life, we may serve a little bit, and we may hit up a connect group, and we'll, we'll do a little bit extra. Okay, God, I, I want you to know I, I'm, a, I'm a good person. I want you to, to love me. I don't want you to be done with me. And if your motivation for doing all those good things, because all those things are good. We, you know, those are things we talk about a lot here. We want you to be a part of those things. But if your motivation for doing all those really good things is somewhere deep down trying to earn God's love and approval and acceptance, it's going to quickly get old, won't it? I can vouch for some, as someone who has been there and done that, when that was more of my mindset. And I still struggle with going back into that because it's like muscle memory, right? Oh yeah, there's no way that God can love me that way. He can love me unconditionally. I, I, I understand we have to be faithful. I'm not saying we don't have to be faithful. But if our motivation is I need to do these things so that God will stay happy with me, it will get old pretty quick. Some of us might have more willpower than others, and so, you know, we'll last a little bit longer in those things, but we will fall into those traps. And pretty soon, our old desires, they come raging back just a little too strong, and we find ourselves in just the right or wrong 
situation and we cave in to our old sins that we thought, man, I, I had that thing beat. And we fall right back into it. Or maybe the bed becomes too comfortable. Or the lake is too inviting. Or Saturday night was just a little bit too draining. Or the budget is just a little too tight right now. Or, you know, I'm just so, so busy, something's got to give in my schedule, and that preacher keeps talking about rest, so I'm going to take a rest on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, I, we've been there, done that, right? Yeah, I mean, sure, you, you may feel a little bit guilty, and, you know, your friends from church or maybe the preacher might check in on you and say, hey, where you been? We miss seeing you, you know, but all, they're just judging you, right? That's the only reason that they're reaching out to you is because they're judging you. And we start to develop this whole idea and this whole mindset. If that's our motivation, we're doing these things, it gets tiresome. We, we finally just say, look, I can't keep it up that long. And we start to tell ourselves, nobody really cares. And we start to distance ourselves. And then, then you remember your get out of jail free card, right? You, get, you have your get out of jail free card. You know what that is? You realize that if you compare yourself to some other people, you're really not all that bad, right? You know, thanks Al-Qaeda for existing, you know, because you can always say, hey, at least I'm not Al-Qaeda, right? I'm sorry, is that bad to say that? Anyway, but some of y'all will stone face me to no end. I don't, y'all need to play poker and then tithe off of that maybe if you win. So, y'all, I shall not smile, you know? But we, we do that. We compare ourselves to other people. And I don't care who you are, you will find someone who is worse than you. But I want you to know this. If you're playing that game, there's somebody that's using you. <laughs> you know? They're like, at least I'm not like Bobby, you know? A, a lot of you probably use me. But we do that and we say, okay, I'm going to compare myself. And we sort of play that game in our minds spiritually with God. At least I'm not as bad as so-and-so. At least I'm not as bad as that person or this person. I, you know, at least I'm not as bad as those people that vote different than me, right? We can easily point fingers and cast blame and shine light on people who we think don't measure up as well as we do when we want God to make sure he accepts us. As long as you can point to him in your mind and occasionally to some other people and point out what they're doing wrong, most importantly, if you can point it out to God, you're good. But what tends to happen is this. We eventually can revert back to that old person that we used to be, right? Because we just stop caring. And we just tell ourselves, either I'm messed up too much or I'm doing just enough. After all, God loves me. And, you know, we just revert back to that old person and we get those old habits and they take control. And we, we just fall into those same traps. And it almost becomes like we've never really changed. And sometimes we can turn out even worse than we started off because we harden our hearts to the Holy Spirit because we don't like that conviction that the Holy Spirit is supposed to give that in regards to sin and righteousness and judgment. 
And we don't listen to the Holy Spirit as it's trying to convict us and shape us and form us and, and pull us back and draw us back. But unfortunately, the problem is, is when we're doing that comparison game and we're trying to do this measuring up thing, it doesn't ever end up well. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus told the parable of the Pharisee. And if you don't know what a Pharisee is, it's basically a religious lawyer under the Old Covenant, under the Old Testament. A religious lawyer is there in the temple and a tax collector is there. And in case you don't realize this, this pretty much relates in our society. But for the Jewish people, a tax collector was one of the worst of the worst. They would say tax collectors and sinners because they were just a whole nother class of sinners in their mind. They were a, a traitor to, you know, the Jewish people. They followed the Roman government. They did all sorts of stuff. They, they robbed and cheated the people. And so these two guys are there praying in the temple in Jesus' story. And the Pharisee is standing there, and he's boasting about all the good things that he does. And he's talking about, man, I fast, and I even tithe, you know, give 10% of everything I have. And he says something to the effect of this, I'm so thankful that I'm not like other sinners like that guy. I'm not like him, especially this tax collector. And Jesus tells a story, and he says, yet that tax collector stood off at a distance. He wouldn't even come up as close as that Pharisee. And it says he stood there with his eyes looking down, and he beat his chest. He beat his chest, and he wouldn't even look up. And he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And here's what Jesus said in Luke chapter 18, verse 14. You can read along with me if you want. He says, I tell you, this man... The tax collector went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So Jesus said, you can't compare yourself to other people. It's all about falling in the, on your face in front of the Almighty God. And listen to what the Apostle Paul says to the church of Ephesus. That's where we're really spending most of our time this morning. We're, we're beginning in chapter 2, Ephesus cha or Ephesians chapter 2. And Paul writes to this church at Ephesus, and he talks about this struggle that we always tend to fall into where we desire to just settle for less. Here's the first idea I want you to wrap your, your brain around. Remember where you came from. If you want to avoid this trap of falling into that, I'm just going to start settling for less than giving my all to God because I feel like, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to earn my salvation. And then it just gets old. It gets too difficult. Look at what he says. Remember where you came from. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. He says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. What's he saying? He's saying all of us were a mess. Say all. All. all means all. 
all of us were a mess, and we, it says, like, that's the way we used to be. We used to be, all of us, Jews and Gentiles. That was the big dilemma they were having here at the church at Ephesus, that the Jewish people thought they were a little bit better, and the Gentiles probably thought they were a little bit better for different reasons, and it was always just a comparison game, but he's saying, you were all a big spiritual mess, the religious and non-religious alike, if you want to in, in our context, in our time. If you grew up in church, or you've never been to church until today, you still, all of us, have been a mess in our lives. The kid who grew up in church and the so-called heathen, you know, that never darkened the door of the church, all of us, every single one, was a big, stinking mess. We all carried out our desires. The stuff that we wanted to do. I'm going to do me. I'm going to do what makes me happy. I'm going to do exactly what I want to do. We all had the attitude. Some of us just covered it up better than others, right? We all were a mess. He says, you were all children of wrath. Your desires and your body and your mind, you, you were let them be the boss. Every single one of us was guilty every single one. And man, that's hard to hear. We don't like, especially now in our day and time, people don't want to hear that they are guilty before the Almighty God. And they rage and they'll shake their fists, right? No, not me. But we have to understand that we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And if I could say this, this is important. No matter how close you were to God, you were still miles and miles and miles away. You know, if you felt like, well, I wasn't all that bad. You know what that's doing? That's comparing yourself to who? Somebody else. I wasn't that bad. You were still so far away from God. Uh, to quote um, a very famous philosopher by the name of Ricky Bobby, he said, if you ain't first, you're last. And do you know that that's really off of a quote from a real-life person by the name of Dale Earnhardt who said, um, second place is just the first loser. You know, it's the same mindset. Second place is the first loser. If you ain't first, you're last. When it comes to our relationship with God, if you don't have Jesus, if you're not in Jesus, you're still lost. It doesn't matter how close you were, if you don't have Jesus as Lord and Savior, if His blood has not purified you and washed away your sins when you were baptized into Christ, then you are a mess and you have the opportunity to get right. And the only way to get right is in Jesus. So remember who you used to be, because keeping an eye on who we used to be helps us to keep our focus not on who we are, but on God. Do you notice in that passage that we read there in Ephesians that all the tense in the verb, the tenses, were all what? Past tense. You were. You, you used to be. You used to be these things. We used to be sinners. We used to be messed up, but we're not now. If you're in Christ, by the grace of God, amen? So because of what's next, we don't have to struggle with the old identity, which leads us to the good news that I think we often forget. When we take our eyes off of God and we start to, to think about the here and now and we don't remember where we came from, I love this simple phrase, and it might just sound a little bit weird out of this, out of this context, so to speak, but it's just two words, but God. You may have been a mess. You may have been in shambles. You may have been the worst person to ever walk the face of the earth, but God. 
but God. When God steps into the scene, when he steps into the play, everything changes if you look to him. But God, it doesn't matter how messed up you were. You used to be those things. Remember that. Don't dwell there. You don't live there anymore. Your your mail's going somewhere else, right? You don't live there anymore. But you need to remember, but God, look at verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 2. It says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 7. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So I'm going to say it again. I know I've been hammering on this, but we were a sinful, wretched mess, all of us, all of us, but God, but God, but God stepped in the scene through Jesus, his son. It says he was rich in mercy and he was willing to share rich in mercy. He loved us with this great love. And and I love this. And we've talked a lot about grace over these past few weeks because I believe that grace is one of the hardest things for us as human beings to understand. Because we want to accept grace, but then when somebody hurts us, do we want to give grace? No, and we, we just lash out and we're angry. So he says very clearly, while we were dead in our sins, not when we reached a level of being a little bit better. But while we were dead, he came and he died for us. He didn't wait for us to reach a certain level of goodness. Guys, I love how Scripture is just woven together. And that's why lately, we talk about it a lot, but that's why lately, especially as we kicked off this year, we've been talking and challenging one another to really get into God's Word. Okay, because the tendency for all of us is, what do we, how do we start off this whole message? I know it's been a long time ago, so it's hard to remember. But we start off by talking about what? We like the path of what? Least resistance, the easiest path. And so we can quickly get into, instead of really spending time in God's Word, we can get into just picking a verse here or there and just kind of pulling it out of context, and then we sort of miss the whole picture, right? You remember the old joke, and I'm not going to go into it, the old story about the, the people who were blind and they were feeling around and they were feeling an elephant and they were all each grabbing a different part and they came away with a totally different understanding of what they were touching? And that's the way the Bible can be, is when we need to realize that the Scripture is all woven together. And man, it is beautiful. And I love this because the same language that Paul uses here, inspired by the Holy Spirit in Ephesians chapter 2, the same Scriptures that he uses, the same ideas he uses in other places. He says in verse 5 there again, he says, He made us alive with Christ. And if you think about it, that sounds just like some phrasing you see in the letter to the Romans in chapter 6, verses 3 through 7, where he talks about, he made us alive with Christ at our baptism. 
He's, he's connecting a dot there for us. He's using that same phrasing that will ring a bell with the hearers because they were very much an auditory culture. They, they passed down stories, and they would have heard that, and they would have said, oh, yeah, okay, I remember that other letter that we received after it went to Rome. And then you look at verses 5 and 6 again. He says the idea of he, he raised us up with him. That is Jesus. And that sounds just like the, the phrasing in Colossians chapter 2, verse 12, where he again is talking about our baptism. It says, where he raises us with him through our faith in Christ. Why do I point this out? Because we've got to see that the scripture is so connected and intertwined that we can't, we're doing it injustice if we just rip things and pull things apart. We've got to look at the full counsel of God because it does you no good to know that you can be alive in Christ if you don't know how to receive that life. And so you see how those phrases are almost identical in those passages of Scripture. And he's saying, when you died to your old self at baptism, you were buried and you were raised up to walk in a new life. You became this person who was raised up with him. But here's what I think is so beautiful. Verse 6 again has this phrase that says this, or, or it gives us this idea, that we're not just alive. Now, your brain may not work the way mine works, but I love that fact that it, it's a big deal to go from death to life. Am I right? But we can sort of get caught up in becoming careless or complacent with that truth. And so sometimes we're like, okay, great, you know, I, I get eternal life and, and shame on me, shame on us when we get that attitude. But it doesn't say that he just brought us from death to life, that he raised us up in him, in Christ, at, at our baptism into Christ. But here's what is so beautiful. It says, he seated us with him in the heavenly places. And how God does it, I don't know. And it's a good thing God's God and I'm not, because I, don't, I can't figure it out other than he tells me this is the truth. But when we are baptized into Christ, we die spiritually to our old self, and our spirit is resurrected, raised up by our faith in him. Not, we're, we're not doing anything, but by his word, we are being raised up. And somehow spiritually, we are being seated with God in the heavenly places. At the same time, we're still walking around here on this earth, struggling and being dumb, <laughs> you know, I'm, that's me. But we are struggling and we are wrestling, but one day when Jesus comes back, what's been seated in the heavenly places, so to speak, has a, a place with God in heaven for all eternity, will be joined up with our flesh. This old body will change in a flash in the twinkling of an eye, and we will have a new resurrection body. And all that physical will be joined up with the spiritual that took place when we surrendered to Christ at our baptism. We died and joined with him and were raised to new life. Man, if that don't light your fire, your wood must be wet, y'all. I'm telling you, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. And we need to understand just how deep it is. But there's something that I found I that I came to understand. I don't know if I'd ever caught this before. But that phrase where it says in, in a lot of English translations, it says, you know, seated us with him. When you go and you look into Greek, I'm not a Greek scholar, I don't claim to be, but I was doing some study in it. And it literally is the idea that God made us sit together with Jesus. He made us sit together. And I don't know why, but that phrase just kind of bored into my brain. 
It bored into my brain. He made us sit together. At first, you know, I'm just being honest. It made me think about brothers when they're fighting. You know, it's like, are right, you going to sit together? You're going to work this out. We don't have to worry about that because Jesus died for us and it's a good thing. But what it is, is talking about he made us sit together. He made us a place at the party. I, I love, once again, I love how scriptures intertwine and I love how the Holy Spirit works through things because Maddie, she gets to know and, who, and the different worship leaders that we have from time to time, the people who do communion, they kind of maybe, if, they, if they're paying attention, know a theme of what the message is supposed to be out about. But it's so cool how the Holy Spirit works things together. We sang that song earlier this morning about, you know, this banquet, this party that we're invited to and it's such an awesome God. And I, I'm just like, it blows my mind. I'm sitting there singing and I, I'm almost moved to tears because I know stuff y'all don't know. I know what's coming. But it says, it's like we walk into the party. You ever been in a fancy party? that you feel like you don't belong in? You need to hang out with some cool people then if you haven't. No, I'm just but you walk in this place, you're like, man, I'm underdressed. I don't know, I don't know if I fit in. I don't know which fork I'm supposed to use. I used to use plastic forks, right? And you walk in and you're like, let me just sort of sit in the back, right? I don't want to be up. I don't want anybody to look at me. I don't want anybody to see me trip. I don't want to see anybody, you know, I don't know how to curtsy or whatever you're supposed to do. I don't know that stuff, but when we enter into a relationship with Jesus, it's like Jesus is walking us hand in hand, and he says, come on, we ain't stopping back here. We're going to the head table. You got a place, a seat of honor, not because you deserve it, not because you know what to do when you get there, because you're with me. And man, he leads us right up there, and he, in a, a triumphal procession, and he leads us and sits us down with him at the head table, the parties for him, but we also get to be a guest of honor. And man, that is something that should change who we are when we start to wrestle with that. I said wrestle, y'all, because I'm country. I'm, I'm fired up. I didn't even mean to say that. Snuck out. <laughs> but man, we... When we start to understand, <laughs> mm, man, thank you, Jesus. Man, off the top rope. <laughs> when we start to, <laughs> I don't know why that's so funny. But <laughs> when we start to really come to grips with what our salvation is, it will change everything. A seat of honor, not just invited, not just alive, not just barely breathing, but thriving. And a place of honor in the kingdom of God. Okay, y'all gotta listen quick, okay? Here's the next idea. All that is impossible, but who? God. And because of that, we understand it's all by grace, and that means it's undeserved. We, we've gone into to a little bit deeper talking about grace a couple of weeks ago, so go back and listen to that. But it says in verse 8 here of chapter 2 of Ephesians, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. You and I are given this seat at God's table. Your eternity is changed. You are free and clear, and it's all a gift. That is good news because if it's on me, I'm going to mess it up. I'm going to mess, you're going to mess it up. 
It's all by grace. And so we, we talked about that in depth in week one. But grace is simply, a simple definition is it's unmerited favor. You get favor that you don't earn. You, it's not of your own merit. We don't earn our salvation. You can't. You and I can't make up for all the bad that we've done towards God. We can never, ever be good enough. And here's the deal. The works of the law under the old covenant couldn't earn it either. They spent a lot of time, the Jews spent a lot of time being busy, right? Offering sacrifices and doing all these sorts of things. And it was easy for them to fall into the trap that they were earning their way to God and that they were earning his love and that relationship. But offering those sacrifices, all those gallons and gallons of blood and all those animals that their lives were taking, it did not earn God's love. All it was doing was saying, I'm going to trust you enough to do what you say, God, even though it doesn't make sense. I don't understand why we're taking the lives of these animals, but you say to do it, so I'm going to do it. You were trusting God by faith enough to do it. And he's saying, because of that, I'm not going to count your sin against you. I'm going to roll it back. And then one day, guess what? The Lamb of God is going to come the lamb, and he's going to be offered, and it's going to, for once and for all, anybody who puts their faith and trust in him, their sins will be forgiven, and they will have the Holy Spirit of God. They will trust him, and he will make all things new. So remembering grace leaves less room for entitlement or settling for good enough or taking it for granted, because you don't deserve it, and I don't deserve it. We none have earned it. We don't fall into the trap of being good enough and good enough is close enough, we understand we're saved by grace. When you understand that your life is a gift, you live with a deeper level of gratitude. If you remind yourself every single day that my life and my salvation is a gift from God, it will start to change the way you think about it and you will live with a deeper level of gratitude. When you live grateful for grace, here's the last idea. Sharing grace is your purpose. You know what consistently is one of the highest um, things searched on Google time in and time out? I'm not saying it's always number one, but it's always up there. What is my purpose? People want to know what their purpose is. Even believers, even non-believers, they want to know their purpose. And it says in verse 10, as Paul writes here, it says, For we are His, that's God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. Our sole purpose is to walk in these good deeds that God prepared in advance for us to do. That's your sole purpose. Now, I know that that might be as clear as mud because you're like, I don't know exactly what those deeds are, but we're going we're gonna to look at that for a second. But that phrase there, it says, walk in them, it's literally kind of the idea of make, this is a weird phrase, but I want you to hear it, to make good use of them. Don't let these good deeds that God has prepared for you go to waste. Don't miss them out. Don't miss out on them. Don't overlook them. Don't breeze by them. Don't keep your eyes and ears closed. We are created by God for good works in Jesus Christ. And these things are prepared in advance, prepared beforehand. It also can be translated decreed. That gives it some oomph, doesn't it, right? 
a royal decree. God decreed, this is what I have for you individually. I have this for you. I have this for you. I have this for you. Can we stress just how important it is that they are and how, how vital they are? That you look for them and that you do them. Unfortunately, it's, it's easy to become a Christian and then do absolutely nothing. <laughs> I believe the American church probably has struggled with it for years, maybe more than other areas, because we have it so easy relatively. But I believe sometimes we've fallen captive to the lie that there's a, a variant of Christianity that, that you get saved, but you don't have to die to yourself. And Jesus simply said, take up your cross and follow me. The cross is nothing but an instrument of death. And if you're going to follow Jesus, he's calling you to die too. You have to trade your life for his. That's the only way that you can get all the goodness of that body being joined up with the spirit as we read and talked about earlier. If you've been saved by grace, you should be changed by grace. If you've been saved by grace, you should be changed by grace. We've got to learn to change from got to to get to. It's not that I've got to do good works, but I get to do good works. And when we start to remember, we remember where we came from, right? We remember where we came from, but we keep our eyes on Jesus and we start to realize that we are saved by grace and it's not by anything that we can do, that our, our life is a gift and we can start to change our mindset from I've got to do these things, but I get to do these things. It's my joy to quote the Chick-fil-A workers. It's my pleasure to do these things for God. Romans chapter 12 says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Change your mind by the word of God and being faithful to him. Grace should change you. There should be a, a marked difference from who you used to be to who you are now. And so here's just a few quick ways how you can learn to live your purpose. Number one, slow down. Slow down. Open your eyes and pray. When we're blowing through life and just, I mean, 100 miles an hour, we're never going to see the things that God has prepared in advance for us to do. We're just too busy. So slow down, look around you, get your face out of your phone sometimes. I'm just as guilty. I'm not, I'm not pointing fingers except at myself too. But slow down and look around at the people around you. Interact with people, even if they may not want to. Look for opportunities of people that are ready. Open your eyes and pray. Number two, you can serve at church. We offer opportunity after opportunity, and we offer opportunities for you to serve in the community. We're going to be doing something in the next few months of opportunities to serve here at Hodge Road and many other places. We do all the time. Number three, you can give at church, and you can give when needs arise every single day. You give to God through what we're doing here as a, as a corporate group. We do it all together so we can make a big impact, but then you look for opportunities to help and give to other people as they come in your life. Number four, small acts of kindness. Simple little things. Smile. Open doors for people. Just be kind. I'm telling you, this world has gotten so dark that a little bit of sunshine just blows the spot up, y'all. A little bit of kindness makes a big difference. Use, number five, use your gifts and your passions to bless others. Find what you like to do and say, God, how can I use it for your glory? It might seem completely unusual, but there are people that you can reach that other people can't reach with the gifts and the abilities and the loves and the joys that you have. 
things that you can do. Number six, invite people to church and or to know Jesus. If you don't feel competent yet to explain the gospel to somebody, invite them to church. That's okay. And even if you do know, it's still okay just to invite people to church. But learn and get to a place where you also can just sit down and share the gospel with somebody and introduce them directly to Jesus. Number seven, encourage others with your words and your deeds. Look for opportunities to reach out to other people, your brothers and sisters in Christ, the people that go to church here with us, and people that you see in every day. You just never know what one small word of kindness can do to change somebody's entire day, week, month, year, or even eternity. Encourage one another. If you see somebody missing, reach out to them. If you see somebody here, let them know you're thankful. Give them a specific reason why you're glad they're here. Why? Let them know. Encourage them. Lift them up. I believe that understanding grace should look like a video I have for you. And I, I think we're having some issues, but the thing I love about this is that it is in Portuguese, so it don't matter if you can hear it or not. The tradition in Brazil is to give the first piece of birthday cake to the person you love the most. They're asking, does he want to give it to his mom? He gives it to his little brother. He is wrecked. <laughs> I really believe that when we start to understand what grace really is, that that's a good picture of what it looks like. That we, I, I know you may not be a crier, it's okay, I'm not talking about that particular aspect of it, but it should overwhelm us that God loves us so much that he died on the cross for us. And you know, there's something that stood out to me in that. Did you see, when he gave him the piece of cake, he took it and he picked up his fork, but then he did what? He set it down and he set it to the side, and then what did he do? He wrapped that other arm back where? around his brother. And I believe that the more we begin to understand grace, I truly believe the more we do that we will desire the giver of the gift more than the gift. He's like, cake is good, but I want my brother. And I believe the more you understand the grace of God and the fact that you don't deserve it, but he gave it to you freely and that you don't just have a seat at the back, you're not in with the servants and the, the dishwashers, you get a seat at the front table, you are one of the guests of honor. I believe that it will change everything and you'll start to desire God, not just the gifts that he gives. If you've been saved by grace, you should be changed by grace. So here's what I'm challenging you to do. Consider what are the things that you can do that can change 
your aspect and your perspective and make you see opportunities to go out and be a sharer of grace so that you are changed and you are different so that other people can experience the grace of God and they can know what it's like to get the first piece of cake. Because the beauty of God's economy is that there are millions of first pieces of cake and every single one of us can have one. So live in grace, walk in grace, and allow grace to change you. Let's worship. Thank you for listening to Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Want to learn more about us? You can do that by visiting our website at movementchristianchurch.com or on our app available on iOS and Android devices under Movement MC.